The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasu, your host. And today I have Tim Clover, who is the CEO and founder of Glow, and also Sherry Frey, who's the VP of Wellness at Nielsen IQ. Welcome to the podcast, guys. And Thank you. Thanks, Seema. I'm excited about this episode. Our society has been talking about sustainability, planet, societal responsibility as it relates to making sure that we understand how consumers think about things. So it's exciting. Before we dive into all those topics, I would love for you guys just to do a little bit of a brief background on each of you. Excellent. Tim Clover, founder and CEO of Glow. It's been a great journey for us over the last few years. Fantastic to be working with Nielsen, but stepping back, I think, to almost 10 years ago when I left management consulting and started this research technology business, we were trying to make it easy to get consumer mindset into the boardroom. We were trying to uh, remove the layers of complexity with some automation through the process. The end-to-end was painful, took a long time. There's all sorts of fantastic technology now you can use to do bits of that, but we wanted to uh, tie all of it together. Uh, so we set out on a mission to build Glow. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. And so uh, Sherry Fry with Nielsen IQ, you know, you mentioned Seema, you know, that we say total wellness here at Nielsen IQ. And the reason we do that is because we've really seen that consumers are thinking about wellness in terms of their personal health and wellness, but also the health of the environment and social responsibility. And so we've built out a team here at Nielsen IQ, which is really around how do we help clients better understand what the opportunities are in the sustainability and social responsibility space. How do they think about the business case? When you think about your brands, where they are on the journey in terms of moving past BAU to sustainability to, for many, it's even, you know, like not just sustainability, but regeneration. How's the world better? Because we were, my brand was here. And so we provide a, a lot of measurement in that space and we're really thrilled to have partners in our network like Glow that can help us really round out the offering that we can give to our clients that helps them see kind of that full 360 view of what's happening in the store and also what the perceptions from a consumer are. So interesting. And I'm just curious, Sherry, from your perspective, what are you seeing on the client side? Are they receptive to understanding and measurement? Or is this something that consumers are driving and as a result, they're interested? You know what? Fine line there. No, no, it's actually both, you know, and I think, you know, one of the things that we always, you know, think about is like, we're all business people, but we're all consumers too, right? And so we're all, you know, on this journey ourselves of thinking about like, how do we take better care of ourselves? How do we take better care of our families and, you know, the planet? And, you know, we've really seen just in the last few years, this increase in consumer interest, Mm -hmm. you know, 
and it's been trending over a long time, but really, I think the pandemic, we saw a spike where we, you know, and I think part of it, it was really hard to ignore climate change when we all stopped commuting and we actually saw a physical impact, you know, to the wow. environment. And I think it was also hard to ignore the haves and the have nots during the pandemic. And I think that really woke a lot of us up. I probably shouldn't say the word woke, but it kind of awakened people to the fact that there is disparity when it comes to wellness and when it comes to health. And we have to really think collectively about each other. So the consumer movement's been definitely growing. Consumers are telling us more and more like, this is more important to me. And because of that, more brands and more retailers are clearly, you know, bringing offerings to consumers, which then is elevating the awareness. And we've seen a huge, just an explosion of claims around sustainability and social responsibility in the store. That's amazing. And Tim, you as a founder and CEO of Glow decided to take this leap and say, this is really important. And you wanted to be an active player in measuring social responsibility for for what consumers think of different brands within, at least at this point, within the CPG space. Tell us a little bit more about how you got to that decision. Yeah, it's interesting. When we started the business, you can imagine sat in the front room with a whiteboard trying to work out how to build a tech stack that was going to solve a really complex workflow. So we built this end-to-end workflow and felt, well, we built this thing to produce data products on, and we can see this rising tide of consumer demand for more sustainability to feel like they're making an impact through their purchases and decided to start running some experiments. We ran a study back in 2019 to understand whether consumers felt governments were doing enough to tackle climate change across five countries. We published the results on the platform. We got loads of clients leaning in and saying, hey, this is great, but what about all these other issues we face? And we've talked to them and they we listed 60 different issues that they thought would be wow. important issues. And yeah. we ran some research on that and said, well, which ones are businesses responsible, responsible for and categorized it all and basically whittled it down to what we found are about 13 drivers from a consumer mindset perspective mm-hmm. of the E, the S and the G when looking at it through that lens and worked with a number of customers to understand what a metric would look like that would allow them to benchmark themselves against other brands. So for us, this was, you know, it was a, an internal view of like, what can we do to make an impact with data that leverages our technology to have a sort of 10x impact? Because it's great. We look at how we use our servers and the cost, the carbon cost of a response through Glow. And that internal view is important. It's important that for, you know, for all businesses that, you know, for me as a CEO, I'm making sure that I'm building a sustainable business, you know, from the inside out perspective, but looking at the outside and the impact we can make, we felt that building data that would allow brands to, to be more courageous in building their case for being sustainable by allowing them to easily see the rising tide and how it affects their category was going to be a bigger impact that we could make. It's amazing, right? Just to devote resources to be able to do that and shed light to a very important topic for all of us to really consider. I'm curious from both of your perspectives, how do you see the shift in balance in terms of we have governmental agencies, we have corporations, and now we have consumer. And it feels like the consumers finally have agency to determine what choice they're going to have in terms of product selection, even voting in terms of messaging, 
Do you think that's the future? Do you think that will continue in terms of, particularly I'll talk about, you know, ESG and sustainability and, and, and things like that, but curious your perspective. Is this the new model in terms of really thinking about what consumers are thinking about and hence working backwards for corporations and saying, I need to serve these people in a better way? I mean, I would say yes. You know, I think the, you know, like I mentioned, there's been, you know, just an increase of awareness from a consumer perspective. And, you know, we find, I mean, we in the FMCG space, we actually have a lot of other industries that are watching what's happening in this space because Mm -hmm. it's on a day in and day out basis that consumers can say, hey, I can buy what my values are, right? Like I can show who I am with what I'm purchasing. There's a lot of transactions. It's not I don't, you know, I'm not having to wire my garage for an electronic or electric car, you know, like it's truly where that, like the early indicators we think are. And so, you know, again, there's, I think we're at the forefront Mm -hmm. in many cases here. And just the fact that we're seeing such a response in terms of, you know, brands and, and retailers too, but brands that are saying, wow, we're actually, there is a business case for sustainability, right? Like this, we can do good and do good for the planet, do good for people and make a profit. I think that's right. You know, for transact for brands that are making their revenue through transactions through intermediaries, you're going to find that there's a lack of data and also an increasing risk of consumer switching because you don't have that, you don't own that relationship. So for food and grocery brands, this is a, you know, it's the ultimate issue and opportunity. And what you have is what you can you know, market and message to your consumer and the, le- the rest is up to them when they walk in and get to a shelf. So making sure it's clear, making sure the hierarchy of information is right, making sure that you stand out in the right way to the right customer is always yeah. you know, the, the eternal problem. When it comes to you know the future of measurement, you know, we often talk about the you know what people say they'll do versus what they actually do. Yeah. This is part of the power of a partnership like this one between us and Nielsen, where we understand what people say and their recall and what's behind it, the why behind you know their attitudes. And obviously, Nielsen have got fantastic measurement data, which says this is what people are actually doing. So you combine those two things, you end up with quite a powerful outcome. And that leads me to my next question. How did you guys actually form this partnership? What made it a quote-unquote good partnership? So we were talking, probably a couple of years ago, we met with Nielsen here in Australia, who introduced colleagues in the US and said, hey, look, we've met this um, technology outfit that might be of use to our customers. You know, the key thing was, you know, people could run market research so they can run tests through the cloud platform in a couple of days. They can do it themselves and they can get some help if they want it or their agencies can do it for them on the platform. So it's a really easy way to template and run these sort of um, product-related tests and marketing-related tests. And for Nielsen, it was a case of, well, you know, we can do that. We can do some of this, but it really, you know, we're a big corporation. We've got, right. you know, a lot of process and... um you know, introducing new technology and new ways of doing things is more difficult than partnering with with other businesses that can do this and help customers at scale. So, so that was the the origin of the partnership. And, and in that same period, I think through our development of this program with our Catalyst program, which is the open source research for good program, we had introduced these innovations to Nielsen through the journey with them and said, "Look, hey, we're working on these important things. Are you interested?" Which which led to our you know. Uh, meeting through the organization with um, people like Sherry's team to pick it up and see how we can take it to market. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we've been impressed with Glow for many reasons, you know, the technology. And I just really think also the approach, you know, like Tim was saying that, you know, boiling those 60 kind of factors from a consumer yeah. standpoint down into those 13 and really being able to 
you know, identify and prioritize those. And it gives us that look, you know, for us, we're often measuring, you know, we measure what goes in through the register till and we, you know, we have, we do, you know, do some consumer research, but to again, give that full view of like, you know, we look at like, is what they say really what they're doing? Yeah. Yeah. And if there's a gap, where's the gap, right? Why is there a gap? That's interesting. There's a lot of people who who are well-intentioned, push comes to shove. Are they going to actually potentially pay a higher price for something that's better for the planet? This is the ultimate say versus do. One of the things around, you know, consumers is we we aspire to great things, but then we don't often act to our aspirations, right? We're we're, we're humans. We're Um, humans. We have other needs and drivers and things going on when we're actually making decisions, but we would all like to think we're good humans and therefore we'll often say in the future i will do this to a greater extent than what they will actually do and that can be a factor of three to four difference from what they'll actually do it's different when you look at recall so recall is not a bad measure for you know what i've done in the last week or month or few months that you can usually recall what you've done and in the right conditions with the right conditions you can actually capture that information reasonably accurately so asking people to record or tell you what they've done is less prone to error than asking them what they will do in the future. So to Sherry's point, you know, when you're looking at what people aspire to do and understanding the gap, that's when you start getting into the drivers of purchase and, and starting to think about the drivers of the situation, which is, you know, it's, you look at the current economic climate and mortgage prices and people making decisions about whether they need to buy value. What we're seeing is that the decision is not about trying to resist value. So people are are buying into value opportunities in different categories, but they find that there's an additional value that comes with, so secondary value that comes Mm -hmm. with sustainability Mm -hmm. that makes you a more appealing brand. So that's, these are the nuances that brands need to try and grapple with as the, you know, lots of brands developing value ranges. How are we going to make sure that we meet the value need, but we don't lose the sustainability component for those consumers um, to which that's important. I'm curious from your perspective and from both of your perspective, qualitatively, I'm not looking at the data, but how big is that gap from well-intentioned to actually doing? Is it still significant or is it, are we narrowing? Is the gap narrow? So, you know, what's interesting is we just released some research earlier this month where, I mean, that's the biggest question we get from all of our clients, which is like, okay, consumers say they say it, right? But do they do it? And so we actually took a look at five years of data and we, you know, analyzed every category in the store to figure out like, is there a business case for sustainability? And and we actually did find, yes, that we're seeing growth over the last five years of products that have, and when I say sustainability, it's everything from true environmental sustainability to packaging, to animal welfare, to social responsibility. Like we're, we're kind of using that sustainability as an aggregate. But yeah, there is a business case. There is better growth. So we do know, of course, there's still a gap, you know, but it is definitely driving, it is driving results, you know, for many brands. And I should say, you know, brands and private label for you know, retailers as well. I was just going to say, it's interesting when we look at categories and industries, we look at the perceived sustainability across brands from top to bottom, the switching in and switching out within those decision nodes for consumers is is a risk for some and a massive opportunity for others. And that gap is, you know, the science is improving, but, you know, we ran a study with Nielsen 18 months ago that looked at top 50 or 50 of the top brands in the US and matched their social responsibility to their growth over a three-year period. And 
And there's a significant relationship that shows somewhere around for two points improvement in their social responsibility score. They were seeing about 1% more growth over that time. Wow. So there's a, there's a big yeah. opportunity for brands, yeah. Are you guys seeing any differences by generation as it relates to the need for corporations to act on being more environmentally friendly? I mean, Tim, you guys, I can talk to the generation, but you guys have some great stuff on the different cohorts, age cohorts. Yeah, it's interesting. And, it, and the, the issues are perceived differently by different generations. There's about seven in 10 millennials and families have switched food and grocery brands based on sustainability perceptions in the last mm-hmm. year. So we know that people are starting to switch. Now, obviously, we have a, a decent amount of items in our baskets. So picking through which you know, what that looks like at a category level is sure. ongoing work, but that's a higher level to, the, you know, the broader population. So broader population is about one in two, so 50%. Uh, millennials okay. seem to care more. Interestingly, we see the issues that people care about differ. Surprisingly, we see that baby boomers care more about the plastic issue. Uh, I was surprised when you told do. me that. Yeah. So, and we were surprised and we thought about it. And actually in, in secondary qual, you find out that that's, that's about the fact that that generation was around, you know, was part of the invention of yeah. plastic and, and guilty. I feel like a little guilty. bit guilty about it. So, <laughs> see variants in the drivers in different yeah. categories. You see a link between, so the drivers are things like, you know, everything from doing the right thing to, from an ethics perspective, corporate wise, to, you know, looking after plastic and waste, mm-hmm. to yeah. looking after the natural environment, looking after suppliers, those sorts of things. And you often find, depending on the category, you know, the closeness of context between the issue and the category mm-hmm. is where consumers expect the category and leaders in the category to take responsibility. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that we've been watching from a generational perspective, and by the way, I'm kind of a resentful Gen Xer who, you know, like we always get ignored and we always, you know, it's always like, oh, and they don't care about anything, right? Like, you know, you know, when we do, you know, see, you know, to Tim's point, it, it is nuanced, you know, in terms of the claims and it's nuanced in terms of the categories for sure. Right. We did a look though, you know, in terms of, you know, we were trying to figure out like, what's the future look like? And so we actually took a look at the, our youngest generations, you know, and they even the 18 to you know 24s and to see how are they doing like in terms of their purchases and one of the things that we found was you know not just what they're they're saying but they're buying and you know we found that you know there's heavy users that buy a lot they spend a lot sure we are most intrigued by the low users where they don't spend a lot of money today we found there were so many more of them they actually indexed much higher and so it actually, I think, predicts, you know, and forecasts, you know, for the future that as those younger consumers really, I mean, they're buying today, even though they don't have a lot of money, mm-hmm. as they move more into their, you know, earning years, I think we're going to continue to see those trends grow, you know, you know, really expand rapidly. I just want to make sure I understand what you're saying. Are you saying that the younger consumers are maybe not buying as much in terms of material goods? No. So yeah. we, what we did is we kind of took every cohort and we divided it into the heavy users, the medium users, and the light users of that cohort. Okay. But then what the intriguing thing for us was we looked at the youngest users and even in the low spend cohort, yes. there were just so many more of them. Oh, you know, I see. Yeah. So like, they, you know, even though they don't have a lot of money to spend today, yeah. they're still buying, you they're know. They're still buying, yeah. So many more of them are buying. Got it. That's the wallet of the future, right? So yes, the wallet is. of the future cares yes. more and the future's coming quickly. Like, yeah. it's yeah, like, we think the window. I must feel like it's almost is, clear. Well, put it this way. 
you know, we're approaching about 12% of consumers who act are really active in switching mm-hmm. brands. And that varies, you know, there's a much higher percentage that will switch, but regularly switching across multiple categories is about 12%. You know, that gets to about 16, 17%, you're going to see a huge tipping point. Like this is going to transform categories in three to five years time. So the investment you're putting in now into R&D and partner equipment yeah. that can produce things in a more sustainable way is going to pay off. So, you know, we hear brands sort of talking about, well, I'm sort of on the fence. We're going into possibly a bit of a downturn. I'm not sure if I want to continue to commit to this journey. You stop committing to this journey. It takes a long time to build up, you know, not just the talent inside your organization that cares and can deliver for you, but also to make sure that the infrastructure you've got in place can support the future yeah. that you need to be part of. For sure. Yeah. You know, actually, Tim, you kind of reminded me of uh, Seema, of one of your, your first question when yeah. you were saying, like, is it the business or is it the consumer? You know, of course, like, you know, we're talking a lot about the consumer, but, you know, there are a couple other factors, too. You know, like, especially here in the U.S., you know, with regulations and legislation, you know, the SEC requiring scope three, you know, and mm. now fines around greenwashing, you know, yeah. that we're you know starting to see more. But Tim, you know, when he just mentioned the cost. I think one of the, you know, two things we're seeing is, you know, the climate change is real, right? And, you know, it's causing supply chain disruptions. It's causing increased energy costs. Like it's becoming that thing where, you know, it's, it's, again, there's, it's changing how we think about the business case for it. And, you know, interestingly, as we've been watching through the kind of impact of inflation, yeah, my team, we track a lot of wellness trends and we've seen some trading, you know, like, oh, okay, I'm going to trade out of organic or I won't buy it as often. But we haven't seen, we've seen much more stability in the sustainability attributes and the social responsibility attributes where we're not seeing. In fact, truthfully, we actually hypothesized we would see that huh. we would see people trading out. And the fact that we didn't, you know, and the sustainability, you know, not to be trite here, but it can make your business, you know, truly sustainable, you know, we sure. think is an interesting factor, you know, again, from that financial aspect for companies. That's interesting. Yeah. That's fascinating that you're seeing that in the data as well. Yeah. Tim, you guys just launched the Food and Grocery Report, has access and shares it with clients as well. I'd love to just get a few nuggets. I don't want to give away the whole story because obviously, you know, brands want to get access to it as well. And But any key nuggets you want to share with us from when looking at the data that you found surprising, interesting, or as expected? I guess that's just to provide some context on the report itself so we track we have under measurement over 600 brands in a number of countries we and this is growing every month and it's um we feel sort of blessed a bit the forefront of this because we you know we started off just doing some experiments and suddenly the momentum has carried us into this position and um, we sort of feel that we, we need to see it through so so we across different so in the us the uk and australia is sort of our tier one measurement markets we also look at the performance like whether or not industries are as whole industries are doing enough and compare different industries so comparing whether or not you know food and grocery brands versus retailers versus banks versus insurers so we're looking at a whole 15 different industries so the food and grocery report that we've just released is about food and grocery and it provides some context of food and grocery versus other industries but also starts looking at some of the macro opinions that that hold across different industries as well to sort of get that helix of the best performers to the poorest performers in category and starts to build out what's consistent and inconsistent or what's common or uncommon across different brands and categories. You know, we're seeing by aligning that data with 
other data, which is where the beauty of the partnership is with Nielsen, is we can get, you know, for the highest performing brands and the lowest performing brands, you can start to overlay sales data and say, well, a couple of more points on the social responsibility score scale, which is a scale from 100 to minus 100, which gives you a, a benchmark against all of these other brands. Two points relates to can relate to about one percent improvement in in growth, right? And that's for the better performing brands. And obviously, if you're below the average fee category, you, you would expect to grow less quickly than sustainable brands, just because of the impact of those at rising tide within most categories. So we're able to overlay, and in that report, we've been able to sort of overlay and talk about some of the the consumer side business case, which would complement, I think, what Sherry's talked about with Nielsen's work for. You know the, the other sales related analysis that's been done you know one in two consumers so half of us on a personal basis have switched around in the last 12 months you know we're finding more people switching into sustainability than switching out of it which is consistent okay. with what sherry said so yep. people trying it and saying well actually you know i don't want to feel like every time i'm picking this up i'm creating a waste problem like i, I don't want to feel like i'm uh, contributing to a health issue i don't you know the wellness thing on all levels is important you know, back to the, you know, every department has seen ESG-driven switching of over 30%. So regardless of which category you're in, it's at least 30% of the people in category have switched as well. Uh, the top 10 brands rate twice the rate of the average. So there's a there's a growing difference for brands that are, especially those that are deliberately purpose-driven. Like the yeah. key part of their mission is to be different with purpose and talk to one or many of those drivers or the you know, the sort of alignment with those drivers, those brands that are doing that are standing out in the data. And are, those, out in the... are those typically challenger brands? They're typically challenger brands or established brands that were challenger brands and are now just completely changing categories. Got it. So, you know, there's what's interesting is we find we, you talk to the biggest brands and they're trying to deal with this, but they're juggernauts. Like it's yeah. hard to change a big it business. It's, like it's hard to build a big business, but it's really like hard to yeah, so it's really, really hard to turn. But they're looking for ways that they can, you know, partner with other brands or, or understand how to improve their sustainability journey, you know, accelerate their sustainability journey so they're not left behind. Fascinating. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate that. And and Sherry, anything you want to add as it relates to, I don't know if you had a chance to go through the data and pour through some of the insights, but would love to get thoughts if you've had a chance to do that as well. Yeah, well, I'd love to layer on what Tim was talking sure. about in terms the brands, you know, I think that the we've dropped in some of the uh, analysis into the report as well from the Nielsen IQ standpoint, you know, like when we looked at that five years of data, like we kind of hypothesized it's going to be the challenger brands that are driving yeah. the growth. Yeah. yeah, And it was, you know, really it, yes. it was, but we also found large brands could drive growth and we're driving outsized growth in the last five years. And I think exactly to Tim's point, it's harder for them to do it. But when a big brand makes a change, we, we think there's a lot of credibility from a consumer perspective and it really shifts. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you think about like we're if we all believe, you know, we truly believe in, you know, that there's a climate impact. Right. Like yeah. we, we're not going to be able to do it with only small brands. You know, it's really going to be have to be everyone kind of playing a part and across the board. Interestingly, you kind of the segment that we didn't see the outsized growth on our side was the medium sized brands, hmm. you know, in terms of the sustainability space. I think the other piece and really, you know, I think the power of this report and, you know, with Glow is clients are really asking us, you know, like my, the questions I always get are, you know, tell me if there's a business case, can I charge a premium? Which by the way, we tell them that's not the question to be asking, right. you, know, <laughs> you, you know, you might have a period of time where there's a price premium, but the truth is 
these claims are so quickly evolving yeah. and becoming table stakes. Yeah. It's mm. the loyalty play. Like look at it from the consumer perspective, which I think is really where, you know, a lot of that power from a glow standpoint, but the other piece is the benchmarking. That's the right. second question everyone is asking is like, how am I doing versus everybody else? My category, my, you know, adjacent categories, you know, and, and so I think this, our industry is hungry for data. They're yeah. hungry, you know, they're hungry for, in some ways, you know, a reason to believe. For sure. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's also always interesting when people ask, you know, how do I stack up to my competition or my cohort? It's almost refreshing because they want to move at the same pace. They don't want to be left behind. And I commend the category leaders who say, I'm just going to be in the forefront. I'm moving this along and, and hopefully others will follow, which is really impressive. I was just going to say one of my favorite things of the report, we had seen it from the Glow team early, was they were talking about where do consumers want, well, where do you get information from brands on ESG and then yeah. where do you want it? And, you know, like every client that we talk to is like, oh, well, we've got an ESG report, right? Or it's on our website. <laughs> and like, nobody's going to your website. Right. <laughs> you know, like, we've got to, yeah. Yeah. Like we've got to figure out ways on pack or through digital discovery, but ways that we could communicate with consumers yeah. better, faster, yeah. you know, more succinctly, but you know, nobody's reading anybody's ESG reports. And I just love that, that research from That's the funny. Yeah, It's so true. We see brands struggling with that communication so much. I was chatting with um, a CEO of a major brand and they're a yogurt manufacturer and they were saying, well, look, we're doing, they have some amazing, amazing ESG programs, amazing sustainability programs that they're running and are fantastic in the work they're doing. But they're reticent to talk about it because they're worried that, well, actually, look, you know, our product comes from cows and cows produce a lot of methane. And yeah. our journey to net zero is fraught, but we're trying to innovate non-dairy alternatives, but it's going to take us a long time. And we say, well, we'll tell that story, explain. You know, we see gra- once end of the scale, you got greenwashing. At the other end, we have what we call green whispering. Yeah. Green whispering doesn't get you anywhere. You know, hiding right. a report on your website is not going to do anything. Find a way to create bite-sized information. Consumers want to understand the issues mm-hmm. and how brands are investing in solving the problems and how buying those brands is contributing to solving those problems. You know, We see consumers responding really bad to grandstand claims. So people saying, I'm going to be net zero by 2050 or 2030 yeah. or whatever the accelerated net zero point is. Well, that's okay. But what does it mean? What are you actually doing? Yeah. Um, what are the programs that you're doing today? You know, what are the challenges we're trying to face down? What are the progress we're making for consumers that want to understand more in, you know, in the information age? There's so many different media you can use to, to start telling that story. And if you don't tell the story, if you tell it badly, then you get left behind. It's um, we're seeing that in the data as well. Authenticity still is incredibly important for consumers to be able to trust and understand what brands are doing. Uh, Tim and Sherry, thank you so much for joining me today. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I look forward to learning more about the future of understanding what brands are doing as it relates to ESG initiatives. Thank you. No, thanks for having us. Thanks, Tim. It's been great to get into it. Thanks, Sherry. Thank you. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. 
we have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. Exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.